All righty. Hello, everyone. It is Thursday night. It must be time for Hawks Insiders. My name's Ashley Brown. Welcome to our Thursday night safe space on preliminary final eve um, as we contemplate year number uh, number seven since the Hawks play in the preliminary finals. It's getting a bit long, and I think we're all getting a bit impatient. Uh, Good to have a nice, healthy crowd in as well. So welcome all. We should have a bit of fun talking. All things Hawthorne and things from Hawthorne perspective for the next uh, little while. Joining me as they always do are my various co-hosts, the legends that are the Hawks Insiders, Andrew Weiss. Hello, Andrew. Oh, Andrew. No one can hear me. That's weird. Um, I can hear you, Ash. I can you hear can hear me. Oh, everyone can hear me except for Weesey. So, Weesey, problems at your end, son. Uh, Darren, hello. Hello. A bit of a problem if it's on his end as the Hawks Insider in ca- account, but uh, we'll yeah. do our best. <laughs> <laughs> well, he'll come back. Can you hear us now, Weesey? Hello? No. Well, he'll have to. We'll keep paddling without him. Uh, Brad, hello. Evening, all. Hello. Hello. We can hear you. Can you hear us? Yes, perfectly. Excellent. Danny, you can hear us? Yeah, all good over here. Excellent. Well, uh, so the problems with Weezy, he'll uh, he's a genius. He'll he'll make it work, and he will get back to us very shortly. Um, we are going to, talk, as I said, talk all things Hawthorne. For next little while, no games or well, AFLW. We'll get to it in a little while. It really is the quiet uh, few times for the Hawks. Um, I want to get to you, Darren, very quickly because this is your uh, your wheelhouse. Are you impressed with the quality of Instagram content we're getting from the Hawks on holidays at the moment? Is it is it bad that I haven't noticed it? And that probably answers your question, Ash. Oh, there's been some. Uh, the boys are away. They've had a great time. There was a uh, there was a, a major gathering in the Greek Islands. Uh, oh, yeah, the the individual. Um, yes, posts. I'm talking. Yeah, yes, I'm talking the Hawks. Yes, yeah, no, yes, not the, the Hawks themselves. They've been pretty no, the quiet players. At Hawthorne HQ, but yeah, I have enjoyed. And been very jealous of all the content that's coming through the boys' accounts, um, and it's great to see them all holidaying together. No, um, they seem like a really close knit bunch. They, uh, yeah. Well, I think the, I think the starting point was was the Greek islands, and then I think they've split up into their little groups. I know Tom Mitchell and CJ were doing the rounds of uh, of, of uh, big soccer games overseas for a while. Luke Bruce has been in Italy with Jager and James Sicily. Interesting to note that uh, delisted Hawk uh, Tom Phillips has been happy to be amongst the group as well. So yeah. he's got any hard feelings, it's not towards his teammates. And CJ has outed himself as a massive Arsenal supporter, which is music probably to Mora's ears, but um, not the rest of us, unfortunately. No, no. Tom Mitchell was at a, uh, a Spanish soccer. was at a Real Madrid game as well, uh, I think, overnight. Just waiting for one of the boys to do a tour of Goodison Park, Dad. Oh, we know who it's going to be. <laughs> and when it happens, I'm, I'm going to be there front and centre. Might take him on the tour myself. On a, on a rookie contract, you probably can't afford the, uh, the exorbitant ticket prices. <laughs> That's right. At the moment, Darren. Anyway, uh, we'll uh, get back a bit later. But uh, now the boys have a good time. Well learned. Break. Um, I wonder whether the, the and even the coaches are at the moment. The coaches in Byron Bay with his family, so it really is not a lot happening, sort of in the football scene. Hawthorne moment. I'm wondering whether the message from the coach was uh, 
get your parting in early, boys, because I want you ready to go and get back. I imagine they've all got to be back anyway in a couple of weeks for the uh, Peter Crimmins medal, and I guess they'll disperse again. Uh, apologies there. We had a slight uh, technical hitch. Uh, not quite sure what happened there, so uh, many major apologies on behalf of that. Very strange, but I think you can hear me now. Okay, let's let's pick this up again. A lot of people have jumped back on, so thank you, everyone, and uh, for your forbearance and understanding as uh, the information superhighway has a bit of a hiccup tonight. Danny, the question I asked for you before we were rudely interrupted by uh, Twitter was, how can Geelong do a deal, a Geelong place to get both Henry and Brune if they want to? Uh, I mean, it's probably as simple as um, they're going to have to use probably their first round pick this year and their first round pick next year or work out a way to get another pick uh, in the late first round to get both of those guys in. I think um, the reality is they can probably get it done. Uh, and like, just like uh, Richmond can get it, the Hopper and Taranto deals done, but uh, most of their draft capital will be out the window. But for the for the cats it's it's a perfect it's a perfect situation they they get two homegrown talents who are ready to contribute straight away and uh, they can come in and um, play in the VFL like all young Geelong players play uh, until they're ready to um, usurp one of the guys uh, from the starting 22 at the cats at the moment and things just keep continuing and I think We've got to applaud as much as it hurts us. We've got to applaud the Cats for their list management over the last, um, I mean, decade almost. They've managed to stay relevant, stay in the top top four to six teams year in, year out, and uh, and just keep replenishing and keep going again. And um, it's a, it, I mean, they haven't won the premierships we've won, obviously, but it's a real credit to the way that their club is run that they're able to... Um, you know, attract these guys, stay in the window and just keep competing uh, all the time. Uh, and, yeah, it's a fair effort by the Cats. Yeah, Brad, uh, how do you feel about all this? Do you think it's uh, a black mark on Hawthorne or did we sort of talked about this on our WhatsApp group during the week that really it's just it just confirms what we all thought, that Hawthorne just, the, the, the Hawthorne's uh, player acquisition mainly going to be through the draft for the next couple of years of, their, of young talent. Absolutely. It's not a black uh, mark, but let's just call a spade a spade. Like, it's actually a sickening. Like, Geelong aren't going good anywhere. I thought at the start of this year that their cliff was finally going to come. They're going to be up there for another at least two more years and probably more. We all thought they didn't have any good young players, but Max Holmes is going to be an absolute superstar. Uh, DeConning's a superstar. You know, they picked up Tyson Single, who made All-Australian. He's still quite uh, young. They're bringing in Henry and Braun, potentially, looking very likely. They ain't going anywhere, the Cats. So it's sickening. It's unfortunate for us because I honestly thought, and the mail I was getting was Tanner Braun was really keen on coming to us. But I think once the Cats missed out on uh, Hopper, uh, they were able to put something quite attractive to him. So he's from down that way anyway. Um, so good luck to the Cats. It's unfortunate for us. But in saying that, as we've discussed over the last few weeks, next year is still going to be a development year for us and, you know, getting games into the guys we saw this year. You know, we obviously got pick seven in the draft. who will probably play quite a bit next year. I still think we'll be quite big players. We've got a lot of list spots. Prinzi has a better idea um, on our list. I know... Uh, blank and is it Ramson will go into our list, but there's still going to be 
some spots available, probably six-plus spots. So I think we'll be active. Danny? Yeah, look, it's it's all fluid at the moment, isn't it? So, um, you know, based on the the delistings and the potential incomings of Carl Amon, um, there are, I think, five at the moment, but we still don't know the futures of um, Seamus Mitchell and Jack Saunders and uh, one or two other guys as well. So um, it's there's a lot to play out. And I think this trade period just looms as being a massive, massive one AFL-wide and probably not a huge one for the Hawks. But uh, if they're smart and they go about things the right way, I think there'll be deals that they can get involved in. There'll be, um, you know, potentially... Uh, you know, the odd contract here or there that they could pick up in, you know, in a sort of salary dump type situation, um, similar to what Frio did with Will Brody last year. Um, and it's all about, for us, is about uh, improving our draft hand at this stage. If um, if we're not the destination club for uh, the Tanner Bruins and the uh, Ollie Henrys, that's fine. Um, but but then we need to then pivot and look at how can we make the best out of this draft hand that we that we have this year and, and try to improve on that. And then maybe look around the edges to see if we can find another Jack Scrimshaw type um, who might be underperforming uh, or not getting a game at his current club and uh, might be looking to just get a, a fresh start and a bit more game time somewhere where the competition isn't as fierce. Well, perfect segue, we see that is to Sam Flanders. You were there for the Gold Coast VFL final against Box Hill recently um, at Betricon Stadium, did Sam Flanders leap off the page to you as someone that uh, could go right at Hawthorne? Yeah, he had a decent game, and I mean, it wasn't it wasn't something I was thinking at the time watching him play. And to be honest, don't know don't know enough about Flanders. Prince is probably the one that's going to be be able to answer how he fits in. Interestingly enough, Ash, you'll you'll be able to vouch that you know for the last. Three or four years, I always pick players that I think uh, could be better on different lists. And Flanders' teammate Fiorini is a name that's come up in today in terms of being um, potentially traded to Collingwood. And I, I reckon we might have passed being able to get him. But in the last few years, I've been pretty red hot on what he could have brought as with Alex Witherden. And so I think there'll be other opportunities. Flanders might be one of them in terms of finding some players on the periphery and just bringing them in to add to the squad for sure. Yeah, Ferrari has been talked about for a couple of years as a player. It's always seemed to be the first one dropped by the Suns, even when they weren't performing that well. He was a guy who seems to go, certainly, um, should you talk him up as a wonderful clubman and sort of, player they love to have around the club. I'm not necessarily endorsing him as a as a but, gun footballer. Jew's done that the last couple of seasons and then retained him and either stuck him in the reserves or when he has played, he doesn't get great game time. When he does, he gets plenty of it. So, you know, I know his actual defensive capabilities and being able to run both ways has been potentially what the perceived issue is, but I, I think he's a gun. I, I really, really like him. But, um, yeah, all things so far point to him going super cheap. I think he's 600K left of his last year back-ended contracts that um, they'd do a similar similar deal to what they did with Frio last year where 
Collingwood would pick that up and not have to give anything up for him. So, you know, I think I think with what we're seeing in terms of players wanting to go to Collingwood, um, they're going to get another great addition to to what what McRae's building there. If anybody's watching the rugby, Australian players just been given the yellow card. Uh, there's a striking resemblance to John Newcomb. So uh, Darcy, someone if anyone knows his surname, they can let us know. But he's just been sent off. Uh, been yellow carded, and he is uh, dead ringer for John Newcomb. Uh, slightly bigger tree trunk legs, though. Um, Frio's exodus is underway. Frio shaped to be an interesting club at the trade table. They they're posturing Frio. Uh, question for you, Brad and Danny. Sometimes they're a bit Essendon-ish in terms of the hardball approach they like to play around the trade time. So uh, poor Rory Lobb, having told them last year he wants to go. Um, he wants to leave the club, decide to stick for another year. He's already bought his house in Melbourne. His partner's already moved over and he's working and whatever. And Freo have told him, uh, no, son, you're not going anywhere. You're, you're staying with us next year. Um, so that's a problem for them to sort out. But also reported is that um, Darcy Tucker is on the way out. Um, Blake Akers, we know, is going to go to Carlton. The other name apparently that is uh, exploring all options is Lloyd Meek. Now, is he the one, gentlemen, that the Hawks should be circling as a to get another big man into the club? I'll leave that one for Prinzi. He'll probably know more about Meek. I, from what I saw, he's serviceable, but I'd rather play Reeves, Lynch, and even give uh, Ramson a few games, even though he's still quite raw. But I'll leave that one to Prinzi. Um, look, I think... Right now, Lloyd Meek is uh, a, an improvement on what we have in our ruck stocks. Um, but I think we all are pretty keen uh, on seeing the development of Ned Reeves over the last year and a half, two years, and seeing where he could get to, Ash. And I think you've been on record as saying you think he's got the potential to be a top um, you know, handful of ruckmen in the competition. I just don't know whether somebody like Meek, who is... Another one of these ruck first or ruck dominant ruckmen, and what I mean by that, it sounds stupid, but what I mean by that is, you know, there are some ruckmen that can play like a Rory Lobb, who is more of a forward ruck. Um, and we were really lucky in our um, three-peat years to have uh, David Hale, who played a beautiful forward ruck um, combo, which allowed the, the the main ruckman to ruck for the majority of the game and then just rest forward and, and pro- provide that chop out. Um, the rucks that we are looking at, and Lloyd Meek is no different, is a, he's a number one ruck. He needs to be in the ruck for the majority of the game because he doesn't play very well as a, as a resting forward. So um, if it's me and I'm making the list decisions, I'm not looking for that kind of a ruckman. If I'm looking anywhere, I'm looking maybe at like a Sydney, uh, maybe a Joel Amadi, somebody like that who um, plays predominantly as a forward but is athletic enough to play as that second ruckman. Uh, until Ramson's ready to come in and take that role. And I think, you know, if, for anybody that listened a few weeks ago when we had Ed on, Ed Seal recapping the se- the Box Hill season, he talked about the game that Ramson played as a fresh 19-year-old against the Frankston Dolphins, um, where he was incredible overhead, incredible, incredible on the ground. And that's the sort of athletic profile we're looking for for that second ruck behind Reeves. I think as good as Meek is, and I think he would be uh, probably an improvement right now on what we have, he's probably not really what we're, what we're after. Yeah, I, I sort of... And just, um, can I just add to that? I was with uh, said Box Hill president at that final 
uh, and I have it on good authority that he's getting uh, text messages, perhaps from our senior coach, uh, who is very, very excited about the prospect that Max Ramson is. I'm as excited as I am too about Max Ramson, and I've got a close-up look at him um, watching Box Hill uh kind of like towards the end of last season. I think going into next year with Ramsden as a third ruck option is really scary. And I think we have to add a ruckman before, before. and whether that's a young player like me or someone a bit more senior, I just going in with three ruckman. Ramsden may get a couple games. He's still really raw. Still got to put a bit of weight on. Um, just really scares me. So I, I think if Meek's available, we have to... Just have that backup option. Yeah, I think. But um, I, I think the ruck forward option is more they they need. They don't need another pure ruckman like a Meek who can't do much else. They've got to sort of find some sort of hybrid for tall forward slash ruck who who they can play. You know, can be an option to play in the for, you know, to to play as a second ruck. It's a tricky one for them because I think we're all a bit anxious about them going to the next season with only two recognised ruckmen plus a developer in. Um, Rams and they're going to need a fourth tour from somewhere. So, but I've always said this: that backup big men are a bit like backup quarterbacks in the NFL. And you'll find that over the course, there's going to be a whole generation now of players who play for two, three, or four clubs. Tom Hickey being an example, uh, sort of the exhibit A of that, who just go and play for different clubs as it suits them. And Hickey's case, it all fell into place in Sydney. But he only ever went there as a backup ruckman and a depth player. Look at him now; he might be a premiership ruckman. So. That's how it's going to work with the situation in the ruck. What about Darcy Tucker? I mean, I've always thought he's a good mover. Is he sort of play Hawthorne could find a role for? Uh, I mean, sure, but I think you're just replacing depth players with depth players if you bring in somebody like Darcy Tucker. I think he's he's a serviceable AFL player, but we've just removed a couple of serviceable AFL players off our list. So just where we're at, I think we can afford to be really, uh, really picky um, with the way that we select talent from other clubs, if we select talent from other clubs at all. So, you know, going through other people's um, discard piles, probably for me, I think um, there's no real point unless you're looking for somebody who is just starved of opportunities, but it's a high-end talent. So I see Darcy Tucker as a sort of middle of the road, decent AFL player, but I don't think there's any need for us to bring in players like that because all they really do is get in the way of the Connor McDonald's, the Sam Butler's and, and, and guys like that in their ability to get games at AFL level. If you're going to put somebody in front of them, you want them to be another young player, um, you know, like a potential Sam, like a Sam Flanders or somebody like that who has a high upside, a high ceiling, and offers you something a little bit different. So that that would be my thing. I think we just need to steer clear of the recycled um, players unless it's a certain circumstance or certain type of player. Now, of course, if uh, this all got lost in the wash with our technical issues at the start, if you want to jump on board with a question, an observation, a comment, or to pick a fight with Brad, please, please don't hesitate. Uh, make a request to speak. We'll get you on ASAP. Plenty of capacity to talk about all things Hawthorne and trade this evening. So uh, please jump on and have a word to us. Of course, what we do know is that Carl Amon is, barring any unforeseen circumstances, will be a Hawthorne player probably as early as, uh, <coughs> sorry, Friday uh, fortnight, which will be um, the first day of free agency. He uh, he 
spoke at the launch of Trade Radio the other day. Were you there, Brad? I was. Um, I oversaw it. Um, I was in the studio nice and early, having a good chat with Sauce um, and Damo. Can't reveal what was discussed, but yes, it was a good... Uh, it went down pretty well. I think this year's trade period, I'm not just saying that this because, you know, Ash, the company that we work for, have have a lot to do uh, with it. I think it's going to be massive. It's probably going to be the biggest one. So a lot's going to happen. Um, and I think we're in for some big uh, fireworks over the trade period this year. The stuff we're hearing about now is, you know, quite big, but there's always three or four ones that you don't hear about, you know, till the end of trade period. A lot of stuff only gets done on the last day. And I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. I think we're going to see more deals get done at the start than we have previously. But at the end, there's going to be some fireworks. Yeah, so Carl Amon said that, uh, I'll read a couple of quotes. Um, in the back half of the year, it was two clubs he had to decide on. Why I decided Hawthorne is that it's a really exciting time for the club. Sam had his first year as coach and they're playing a really exciting brand of football. I think I can complement that wherever they want me to play. There's still more growth in my game to come and I can see that happening at Hawthorne. Uh, they were interested in me the whole way through. They had a conversation with, with my manager at the very start of the year and they showed interest throughout the whole year. And that's another reason why I decided to go with them. But they showed interest really early and they were keen to get me down to their club. Um, he wants to be a player who's damaged on the outside. He sees that as a key pillar of his game. Had an opportunity this year where I was able to go inside and use my strengths in there. Going forward, hopefully, there's an even balance of the two. The strengths in my game hopefully complement the game style at Hawthorne. What was interesting was a fairly mature way of going about it because he said that he um, pretty, was pretty upfront with Ken Hinckley about it. They had some conversations, so that Ken Hinckley knew that he was out the door. He also told some teammates ahead of the last game that he was leaving as well so that they all knew what a special occasion that last game would be, which... Uh, Suggests to me that's a very mature way of going forward. I wish more players would be like that, I think. And um, certainly sounds like a man of pretty good character coming to Hawthorne. And even though they've got that sort of, like they call that flat leadership group there now, uh, would suggest to me that he might well find himself amongst the leaders at the footy club sooner rather than later. Um, Brad, I, you were in the room the other day. Any, any talk of Jack Gunston at the moment? No, very quiet on Gunston, but the longer it goes, I believe the higher the chance is, is that Jack's going to unfortunately leave. The talk is that Brisbane are obviously, you know, the favourites to land Jack should he decide to leave. But if I had to say, I was wrong about Tanner Bruin because I honestly thought we were going to get him, but... I'm leaning towards Jack leaving, unfortunately. It's great that Bruce is staying because obviously a few weeks ago, you know, there was the worry that we'd lose both. So, um, you know, losing Jack would be disappointing. He kicked 32 goals this season, experienced player. I think we forget with Gunston because he missed two years. He's only 30 years old. He's still got, you know, at least three really good years of footy left. So it'll be a big loss for us. But, yeah, I think he's going to go. Yeah, I think with... um... With Gunther, you know, I, I sort of agree, the longer we don't hear from him, the more likely he's going to leave. And given that it's Brisbane's a team in the frame, they're still, they're still alive. I don't think there's any sort of boat rocking going on at the moment. I think he'll just keep his counsel until after their season finishes, which may well be in 24 hours or so. Um, but, yeah, I don't think the signs are all that great that he will 
beat Hawthorne, which is unfortunate, but I guess the pain lessened a bit by the fact that Luke Bruce is going to stay. Now, before we wrap up uh, trade and player movement, got anything else before we talk about a couple of other matters? And again, if you've got any questions for us, please uh, don't hesitate to shoot them through. Just on the Gunston one, I think um, I, I totally agree with Prinzi in that there's no need to sign uh, players that are available from other teams just for the sake of it and aim on early. I mean, as you alluded to, Ash, he spoke beautifully. So getting aim on early is a massive start. If we get that extra Ruckman in, Bruce, re, uh, well, extending his contract, I think Gunston's potentially the key. And interestingly, at that 30-year age range, I saw someone actually tweeted, it might have been in response to... Primsy, one of your tweets, but he's 30 years old and he'd be a massive loss. What do you guys think about offering him a three-year contract to dangle the carrot to get him to stay? It'd be be right on the edge. I mean, ideally, you'd like to offer him just a two, but you don't want to give up talent without getting anything in return. So if, if Jack turned around and said to the Hawks, listen, I'll stay, but the only way I'm staying is if you give me a three-year deal because that's what the Lions are going to give me. I'd probably pull the trigger on that. We're not in, we're not in Clarkson Hawthorne anymore where it's only one-year deals for 30-year-olds. So, um, you know, it, it's not the end of the world giving him three years. I mean, I'd be a little bit nervous because of his back injury and, and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, even if that last year was a write-off, it, it probably doesn't matter. All right, let's move on to a couple other things to do with the horse at the moment. Um, interesting story written in The Age this morning about um, about Clark, Elsa Clarkson and getting uh, Nick Holland, the player who uh, Clarkson refused to play in his final year at uh, Hawthorne in 2005. I found this quite amusing, that side of it, who's now the head of legal and integrity at Hawthorne, sending a note to... James Henderson, who's Elsa Clark's manager, reminding him of the obligations of the uh, contract. In fact, he's still contracted to Hawthorne, or still being paid by Hawthorne, is he can't be seen to be promoting rivals of the football club. And it was pointed out that wearing a North Melbourne polo at his coaching announcement, North Melbourne, of course, being sponsored by Mazda, is in breach of his uh, his payout uh, contract with Hawthorne, of course, was sponsored by Nissan. Now, I want to put this to uh, to you, um, Andrew, as a business owner, and to you, Darren, who holds a senior role in, sort of in that sort of space. I think that's quite. I think that's silly by Hawthorne to get cross with Clarko wearing a North Melbourne polo with a Mazda logo on at his uh, at his announcement of, of of taking the job there. Yeah, I think that. Um... You know what? I think if there's one one group that'll be happy, it's Nissan's because uh, they got a bit of free uh, promotion in in the fact that yep, Clarko's still driving around in one of their vehicles. Um, yeah, look, what I found interesting about the article is it's actually the first time since you know we we knew that it was. It's going to be spread over two years, two $450,000 payments. Actually, there was a little bit more detail in how that was structured. So the two payments within 12 months that it was till November 
that um, so it was only within a 12-month period that it applied, not the full two years that we originally thought in terms of being employed and breaking it, which effectively means that whole 900 is eaten in the cap, um, three $300,000 payments. I found that stuff interesting. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, I think that it's probably just the case of um, just getting some some airtime. I don't think it's really here or there, is it? It makes a big difference that it's in the news. Well, I think it just creates animosity between Clarkson and Hawthorne. And, you know, at some stage he's going to retire from coaching footy and we're going to want to welcome him back with open arms into the fold of the club just as a legend and I just it's unnecessary animosity that it creates and I actually feel partly responsible because I went to uni with Nick Holland um I did law (laughs) and I shared I shared a lot of notes with Nick Holland while he was out there playing for the Hawks um helped him sort of get through his degree so uh I feel very responsible for this one I was at a cafe the other day and I saw a woman sitting having a coffee by herself and I realised after a couple, I thought she looked familiar and I realised after a couple of minutes it was Karen Clarkson so I should have actually sort of bailed up and said, what the hell are you doing? Uh, but um, well, what, what the hell did you ask? Was she in a Mazda Polo? No, she or? wasn't in a Mazda Polo. Um, I think that uh, Jeff Kennett came off looking a little bit petty in all of this, um, to be honest, and I was a little bit uncomfortable reading it. Just let him, let him be, let him do what he needs to do. Um, to, to, to do that job and get on with it. It means he's got to wear a North Melbourne polo a couple of times. Uh, so be it. I don't think too many people will see that's in a major breach of any sort of agreement uh, with Hawthorne. The poaching is probably a different side of things. If he can't really be seen, he's already done one with uh, with uh, Cam Matthews, but it was a uh, it is seen as a promotion. I guess he's taking on a more senior role, so Hawthorne can't stand his way. I'd be more concerned about the uh, poaching than I would about him wearing a, a polo shirt anyway. So. It, it really, it really does. When I, the first thing that when I read that, I'm like, this just stinks of Kennett. Really, it feels like a very salty Kennett move. And there's a big difference between wearing an official club polo and what is he supposed to do? Actually, put uh, some tape over the logo. I think that would have looked absolutely ridiculous and compromised North's commercial relationship with Mazda. So I don't really know what he was supposed to do in that instance. It's not like he went and did a commercial for Mazda or drove a Mazda car out of the press conference or put something on socials in, in Mazda, um, you know, in a car or whatever. Yeah, so, like Mick Malthouse yeah. drove up but, to his college so, announced it in 2000 in a, uh, yeah. a sponsored vehicle. But, but yeah. so I'm going to play devil's advocate and go, uh, first and foremost, I think, is this really news like, does anyone actually care? But also, hang on a minute, we're paying him $900,000 and there's terms of the contract. So whether or not it was meant to come out to the public or not, like he's got a contract and we're giving him a million dollars. So whatever, like it is what it is and move on. I'm glad you said that, Weezy, because I was going to jump in and play devil's advocate or, or produce that counterpoint. If I was if that was the expectation on me to earn, you know, $450,000 a year, I think that's a, a line you can tow without crossing. I don't think that's too much of a big deal. Um, you know, so I, I'm, yeah, like, like Weesey said, I think it doesn't need a, 
and it's a shame that it got out into the public because it does make us look a little bit petty. But the reality is, it's a big amount of money to be paying somebody. If somebody's under under contract, they've got to fulfil the obligations of their contract, whatever that whatever those obligations are. So if it's just a reminder, um, no big deal. I don't think. Oh, we've got some questions, which is great. Fidge, good evening. Good to have you with us. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, I was just following on from that. It, it just, like most things, it feels like it may have been blown out of proportion. Um, obviously, like Hawthorne would have um, probably had those comments more because how are Nissan going to react if they see their, one of their, someone they're paying effectively, um, sponsoring, uh, promoting a, a, a rival? But also, like, it could be just, you know, like, I feel like maybe it was just a, a not a aggressive you shouldn't be doing this more just be careful what you're doing and poaching and maybe the poaching was the bigger 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 conversation and this was a side side conversation and that's been blown out of proportion what do you think yeah i think you're probably right i think it's also it's two uh it's two big personalities it's it's jeff kennett and elsa clarks and the general perception that they uh they don't get on or they don't like each other and uh the truth is probably not as much as that. I, I don't think they're on each other's Christmas card list, but I, I think they don't actively dislike each other. I think they're two very strong alpha males who just butt heads from t- time to time, and this might be one of the last times they get to do it. Um, that's my reading of it. I, I just I can't imagine the Nissan brand manager going, I have a problem with this photo. I just can't. Like, he left the club, and I know that, that there's a contract in place, but... You know he's not he's not out there doing content for you know Nissan anymore um, as part of as part of those arrangements. So it just yeah it just seems very much like posture. And clearly Nissan's not very unhappy. Is not unhappy for them because they've just re-upped and uh, tipped more money into they can sponsor the AFLW team. So the relationship's going really well. So I'm not uh, so yeah I think Hawthorne just being uh, just you know just a, a chance to. Uh, to, to, to remind uh, Clarkson that he's you know he's got another month of a contract to go and it finishes at the end of the October which actually be sort of way working football that's actually the end of the football year uh, 30th of October so maybe it's partly to do it's also a warning ahead of the trade period ahead of but this is still the hiring season in football so um, maybe there's some more uh, maybe he's got some eyes on some uh, other Hawthorne people that wouldn't necessarily be a promotion for them to move from uh, to move from Hawthorne to North Melbourne, and maybe that's part, all part of a, a bigger play. Anyway, this is uh, all interesting times of things that make headlines when your team's not playing. Stalking Hawk, hello, welcome. Yeah, g'day, guys. Um, yeah, it's good to be back here. I've, I've had a while without, um, without being able to listen to you guys, so it's, it's nice to be hearing your tones across the um, airwaves again. Back. But, um, <laughs> yeah, cheers. Uh, just on the... The Clarkson thing, something that I thought was relevant to that was the soft cap and Sam Mitchell's ability to attract assistant coaches, given that, um, uh, as one of you mentioned, that we've got some details about how this um, payout is structured. And effectively, it seems like somewhere between 250 and 330k of our soft cap is being taken up with these payments to Clarko. And I don't know how much assistant coaches get, but I'd imagine Sam Mitchell would be pretty keen if um, if Clarko wanted to forgo that payment to, to spend it on an extra assistant coach or two. Well, he would. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, he would on that. And the soft cap's going up uh, next year and will go up now 
quite nicely the next few years. Also, then 2025 with the new TV rights deal. So, and we talked a bit about in the last couple of spaces about some ways Hawthorne might add to their off-field arsenal by Sam's admission they were running pretty lean this year. Certainly, I think there'll be at least one more development coach coming into the system next year. I'm going to throw a name at you guys for someone who uh, wanted the outside chance to come to Hawthorne next year. But, um, yeah, I think that's certainly in their thinking as well. Andrew? We actually we, we thought that um, when we covered this 12 months ago, we thought that it would significantly hamper um, Sammy's ability to bring who he wanted in and, and bring the right people around him. And then we just had name after name after name coming in and quality names as well. Um, so didn't necessarily think it was an issue. And, and then you look at um, the fact that Otten and Monkhurst have gone, the fact that the salary cap, um, the soft cap is significantly increasing. I think it's about three or 400 Ks in it, Ash. Yeah. Um, which, which effectively means that, you know, he's clearly got space to bring in up to three more people. So whilst that 350 to 400 K is still hanging there over our heads, or I think it ended up being, we were able to put 300 K over three years into the soft cap, into each of last uh, this season, next season, the season after, but over two payments that um, clearly he's been able to bring in who he wants. He's got a lot more room now with those departures and the increased cap. I feel like it's not going to have much of an impact in terms of making sure he can he can surround himself with the guys that he wants. I'm really intrigued about who... He's obviously got some people in mind, and you wonder whether, you wonder whether the people that he wants to bring to the club are currently working at the four clubs still playing because otherwise there's nothing to stop them from making the announcements. So I'm going to throw a name and you're all going to think, you're going to laugh at me and think I'm a silly and hopeless romantic, but he, the man himself did drop a hint that he wants to, uh, he wants to get involved and stay involved in footy. I'm wondering whether John, uh, Josh Kennedy might be someone that's on Hawthorne's radar to come and have some sort of off-field role with the club uh, next year. If, if he has desires to move back to Melbourne with his family and, Hear me out on this one. His family are all living in Melbourne. Her family, his wife's family are from Colombia, but all his family live in Melbourne. So if he has plans to move back to Melbourne to be with his family, um, wonder whether he would be someone that uh, Sam Mitchell will speak to to get him to Hawthorne. I know I'm on the, been the Ruffy bandwagon for a while, but I'm just wondering whether anyone thinks that um, Josh Kendi might be someone that uh, might be on Hawthorne's radar to bring him back. Absolutely. It's not a bad thought, Ashton. We've seen he was injured, you know, he obviously had his hamstrings this year. He was often, you know, shown on camera sitting on the bench with John uh, Longmire. So, you know, helping him out, sort of a bit of an assistant coach, maybe a bit of a mentor to the younger players. Um, you know, he's obviously his blood's in the club. You know, he's a legend. His fa- you know, his grandfather and his father, you know, were champions of our footy club. Um it's not a bad one and, you know, he'd be great for the younger players, especially for the midfield who definitely needs still. I know we've got Rob Harvey came into the club the last couple of years, but no, nah, I reckon Kennedy would be a great one. Yeah, I think that clearly what they do need for next season is a bench coach and uh, and the role that Roughhead plays at St Kilda and Kennedy played a bit of at Sydney this year. So we'll see what happens on that front. I said, 
maybe I'm just a hopeless romantic in all of this, but and I was going to say that's very romantic, <laughs> as romantic as it comes. But uh, it'd be great. It'd be fantastic. But that, I wonder. I mean, there's a role for him now. There's a role. At Box Hill with Odden leaving as well. So maybe that's the. Maybe there's some succession plan there in place and installing him in as head coach of Box Hill, and you know maybe uh, maybe in a couple of years, and then into the into the senior into the senior coaching group. Yeah, it just it just makes sense. If 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 they've got these vacancies and they haven't announced them yet, it's likely because the chats are involved in the four clubs were still playing. So just a thought, but uh, again, I could be uh, I could be just getting a bit silly here and uh, show my age and uh, want to get a candy back. So. That is the other news. And, and another bit of news uh, where one plus one probably equals two in this case. Uh, one of our listeners has pointed out to us, if I can find him, I'll give him the credit for it, that there is a 50% sale. So Andrew Marshall pointed this out. Thanks, Andrew, if you're with us tonight. A 50% sale at the Hawks Nest on all Adidas merchandise. Weezy, what does that mean? Uh, once again, sources shall be protected, <laughs> but um, I like Andrew Marshall's way of thinking. Let me just say that. And um, yeah, you know, you can do the maths, um, but yeah, it's a solid, solid line of thinking, I would have thought. Sketches, come on down. Not so sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll see what happens over the next few weeks. There's, there's clearly going to be some some sort of announcement. And, um, yeah, uh, if you do like your Adidas gear, it's probably a good time to stock up at 50% off, I would have thought. Yeah, I'm probably going to grab one of those uh, green uh, hoodies that they had at the start of pre-season. Those are, those are really good, especially at half price. Now, we have a famous listener on with us at the moment. Um, I'm not going to ask him to come on. Oh, he's just jumped off. Kane Corns was listening for a minute and uh, who has said he'll come on the Hawks Insiders one of these days. But uh, if you are following what he's doing at the moment, he is running from Melbourne to Adelaide, raising uh, money for the My Room Children's Cancer Fund. So if you want to, if you want to spare $5 to support Kane and a wonderful thing he's doing at the moment to raise money, he actually got his inspiration, he said, from Shane Crawford, who once rode from Melbourne to Perth. So... Uh, he was on briefly listening, not anymore, but uh, we would strongly encourage you to to uh, help Kane uh, Corns out with his wonderful work for the My Room charity. I think he's stopping overnight and, in Nil, the famous home of uh, not far from uh, Elsa Clarkson country. For all the hating, and um, in a lot of cases, rightfully so, um, <laughs> for all the hating of Kane Corns, like... It is actually a pretty special effort. Like, remove yourself from, from, you know, the passion of footy and and what he's actually doing is incredible. It's absolutely admirable and uh, absolutely echo your sentiments that if anyone's got a spare five to give, there's uh, there's a really good cause and he's doing a really good thing. Uh, he's a good man, Kane, and uh, I think. The best thing that Hawthorne did this year was actually put him up once a fortnight on uh, on Kane on Friday mornings on SEM. But I think the, the snide remarks about the state of Hawthorne's list tended to disappear once uh, Kane had a better understanding of what uh, Mitchell is doing at the Hawks. Um, 
we've got about 15 minutes to go, and I wanted to discuss briefly his preliminary final weekend. And I just want to throw it around. Um, preliminary finals at Hawthorne, it's, just, it's been, well, it's been a pain existence, preliminary finals. We've, Hawks have won more than they've lost, but if we've rocked a few times, they've never come easy. Now, the, stand, the standout for everybody, I don't think we need to debate it, is the 2013 uh, win over Geelong, which is, premierships aside, just about the greatest night any Hawthorne supporter would have had ever at the football, I suspect. But I want to do a bit of word association with a few others, and I just want to speak from the heart and speak to your memories of what you were and what you remember out of the night. And, uh, again, if what the, uh, those of you out there have listened to, please take part in this conversation. So I'm going to start with... Uh, 2011, Collingwood v Hawthorne, MCG. Buddy, freak goal, puts Hawthorne in front, only for Luke Ball to kick the longest uh, kick of his life off his wrong foot. I think it was Michael Osborne who might have uh, who might have let him go, uh, who, who might have uh, not played his role in the stoppage. I, I think that he was end up being the unfortunate uh, culprit and all of that. Uh, gentlemen, what are your memories of 2011? Heartbreaking. It genuinely makes me feel sick thinking about that game. I, I had a, a bird's eye view of – I can't remember who made that error in the last quarter. Was it Shieldsy or That was Osborne. Someone? Osborne. Osborne. I think Osborne. Yeah. I think Osborne uh, was it Osborne? At the stoppage, Osborne uh, didn't pick up uh, ball. No, no, no. There, there was, oh. a, there was a, a Shanks kick or something. But um, – yeah, just sickening. And being there amongst Collingwood supporters yeah, just up and down was just, oh, feels sick a, thinking about and you it. Remember, was that the game when the siren went that Clarkson was on the bench and he punched the roof? Yes. Yeah. And Mick Malthouse was literally like in the box. Like a, he was crying. He was in tears because it was such an emotional, it was such a hard game. It was, yeah, it was an incredible game that. And yeah, absolutely. But it was sort of, you know, we lost that prelim in heartbreak. Then we lose the granny in 2012, and then it sort of led to the three-feet. So we sort of had to go through that pain for those two years in order to, you know, win the there, three in the row. There was a bit of um, – it was interesting after that game. I remember that um, Clarkson spoke very, spoke from the heart after that game about what a gutting what, – what a heartbreaking loss it was. Um, and Eddie Maguire uh, basically – use that as license for the next uh, six, seven, 12 months to call Hawthorne a bunch of sooks um, and basically laugh at, laugh at Hawthorne for being as openly wounded by the defeat as they were. Well, if there's any, uh, if there's any uh, karma in football, I think Hawthorne won what the next seven, eight, nine games in a row against Collingwood. So uh, I don't think, I think Hawthorne weren't lacking for motivation every time they played Collingwood, starting with the round one game the following season, which was Jack Gumpson's first game for Hawthorne. So, yeah, that was a pretty uh, a, a pretty uh, savage on the football. The, uh, I, in a way, it was a blessing. I think Hawthorne would have been well beaten by Geelong in that. Uh, Ruffy didn't play that second half of the season. He had an Achilles injury. I don't think Hawthorne would have gone close to Geelong in that uh, grand final. I don't think, uh, so, in a way, we were spared. As heartbreaking as it was, I think we were spared the pain of losing a grand final for Geelong. 2012, Hawthorne just get over Adelaide. A frightening 
day and evening football. Luke Hodge didn't play. He talked about it in the radio uh, early this week. He was really ill with a virus. It was supposed to be a fairly comfortable win for Hawthorne, and they nearly fluffed their lines. Weezy, any memories? I think the memories, uh, Kurt Tiffett, uh, what did he kick? Maybe three or four goals. And yep. um, as they were coming back, like he took maybe one big mark in the goal square and just that feeling of being monstered. And after what happened the year before, that uh, that it was all going to happen again, like that we were going to leave. I, I don't... Yeah, going to leave in heartbreak. Um, but it was different from the year before because we'd, we'd learned our lesson as supporters, hadn't we? So my memory of 11 was Buddy kicked the goal and you actually start believing. And because of the time that's left, while you're nervous, you're actually thinking about the fact that you're going to win the game. So it's totally ripped away from you. This is the opposite because all you're thinking about is the game being ripped away from you. But, um, yeah, it was a relief when the siren went for that one for sure. Pridge, be back with us. Yeah, it was just uh, 2011 prelim. I remember I was on exchange in Milan sitting in a classroom watching it almost jumping out of my, square, out of my seat in class uh, when Buddy kicked that goal and then just couldn't believe it when um, – uh, Luke Ball kicked that, and I think it was, I think Ryan Schoenmakers dropped a sitter, which led to the, um, led to the the stoppage where Ball kicked the goal. Um, still vivid in my mind, just sitting in in class, and people are thinking, "Who's this guy? He's jumping up and down <laughs> in the middle of a, a business class." But anyway, yeah, uh, one I'll never forget. Brutal night of the footy. Thanks for that. So, yeah, so Taylor Walker kicked four goals that night. Uh, sorry, was that the Stratton uh, tackle game where Stratton laid yes, that amazing tackle? on Dangerfield. Yeah, I remember that. And also, did Cyril kick the winning goal? Just I th- Well, I think Hawthorne went front for most of it. Look at the scores. It was um, oh, actually quarter-time Adelaide by seven points, half-time Adelaide by five. Hawthorne kicked away. Hawthorne kicked six goals to three in the third quarter, lead by... 16 points at last change. And the feeling was that Adelaide had fired their best shot because Hawthorne was the best team in 2012. That was a premiership that got away from Hawthorne. But then last quarter, Hawthorne kicked two goals, five. Adelaide kept coming. Which were... 4-4. Four, four. Which, which were... They kicked the first three goals of the last quarter and it was a... You're right, Brad, it was a serial goal, but then it was a buddy goal um, that put us 10 points up um, and Taylor Walker kicked a goal... Uh, towards the end of the game to bring it back to uh, bring it back to five points, um, and we were hanging on, but but we're ahead ahead the whole time. So Tipper kicked four and Taylor Walker kicked four. That was the game that uh, after which I think the uh, I, I think that might have been the following Monday that uh, Graham Wright might have picked up the phone and called uh, Marty Pask and said, "Can we have a chat about Brian Lake?" Because I think that was the game that sealed the deal that Hawthorne realised they were just just hanging on. They needed another they needed another key defender. But uh, the combination of Showmakers and and Josh Gibson um, and looking at that side now, Ben Stratton wasn't and Tom Murphy. I mean, just wasn't going to get the job done. That probably wasn't a premiership key. That they didn't have, they were missing one key uh, defensive gorilla. So that was the and that was. 
that was a yuck time as well, Ash. It was a twilight game um, similar to Port where you had half the game in daylight and half the game in uh, under lights, which I don't know. And Hawthorne was also robbed because Hawthorne finished top of the ladder, but because of the the, scheduling clash at um, Homebush, the Swans got this Friday night prelim and Hawthorne to play on the Saturday. So Sydney then actually had the extra day of rest heading to the grand final, even though Hawthorne had been the... uh, had been the top-ranked team for the year. So it was a whole lot of... And with Hodge not playing, there was a whole lot of distaste throughout that game. I think everybody was very happy that uh, they found a way to win. And a lot of the optimism of the season, when Hawthorne had played so well for the season, a lot of the optimism had evaporated by the time that preliminary final finished. And not, a, and not many people had uh, a lot of positive thoughts heading into the grand final. And it turned out to be right. 2014, we vowed never to talk about it, but we're going to talk about it briefly. Port Adelaide... Uh, at the MCG, it was a frightening game. Hawthorne just seemed to have it in hand, didn't they? And then Port Adelaide came from the clouds in that amazing last quarter. Uh, did you think it was gone to any stage, Brad, Mr. Mr. Pessimism? Uh, if that game went an extra few minutes, absolutely. That was the Hodge-Smother game, wasn't it? Um, sure was. Yes, definitely. Right in the air, like the, I guess the, you know, the, their forward, you know, probably their half forward line. It was just some brute. I think there was a late, took a contested mark or could have been paid a free kick against him. I think the umpires put the whistle away at the end. But that was also just, you know, it was just brute. That last quarter was just brutal. They just kept on coming. Because we, they kicked we were... the last four goals and like it's classic, Brad, you love, you love Nuffies just having days out against us and, this is probably Angus Monfrey's one oh, of the games yes. of his he career. Was unbelie- and, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, he that two game. of those last four and was just going nuts. Yeah. They just took the game on in the last quarter. Often they went through the middle. And like we, we were dominant in the first half of that game. It looked like we weren't going to lose. And then it looked like we just ran out of legs. And as I said, I reckon if that game went for another 90 seconds, we probably would have lost. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it was just about it was just about getting away. But uh, I think Chad, a young Chad Wingard might have been one of the reasons Port Adelaide got back in the game. They just stacked their back on. They just basically played everybody run, running hard off half back at bounces, and but we either lose by eight goals or we're going to try and steal the win. And they almost stole, stole the win. We sp- I remember we spoke to Chad about that one for the um the Golden News Pod, and it just blew me away how he said how much he wanted the ball in his hands. In the dying moments, I think that just shows the difference in mentality between me and Chad because I was an absolute bundle of nerves and just collapsed in my seat at the end of that game. Yeah, and there's another pre-game as well. Jordan Lewis, who was a really important player for Hawthorne that year on the best and fairest, he was he was crook for that one. So he pulled out. Oh no, he played in that game. There was another final at Lewis. He got subbed out. He was subbed out. Right. Um, so yeah, it was just again a nerve-wracking. Before, uh, just a nerve-wracking evening, and again, we probably didn't walk away. That was the reason. That performance was the reason why Sydney was such hot favourites heading into the uh, heading into the grand final that season. And uh, I guess, given how Hawthorne played that prelim final, how they ended up winning the grand final in the fashion they did was quite uh, was quite remarkable. And then 2015, uh, the Frio game, which I think uh, who were, did it, were any of us at this game? That game was over in WA. Yeah, I know, but did anyone and, go? For and it? we, 
No, and I just I remember it clearly, and I just remember um, it was a goal by Jurae, wasn't it? There was one. Yeah, Jurae's best four. game for the club. Best I game for he, the club. Yeah, absolutely. He was phenomenal, and I just remember thinking, "Where's this Jurae been?" You know, his whole career. But yeah, um, and I think there was a there was moments of Cyril brilliance as well there. But I think the that prelim was maybe an encapsulation of just the whole final series there. Having to go to to WA twice in three weeks was just was just massive and, and what a team and what a what a bunch of um you know absolute legends that we had at that time to be able to go there and get the job done against West Coast initially and then back it up and get it done against Frio too. And I, I am I correct in thinking Ash that that was around when um, Luke Hodge had his uh, DUI uh, situation. Uh, um, did it come yes, up he in did. the media? Yes, and that, it did. And there were calls for him to be banned for that that prelim, I think. No, that came before the qualifying final. Oh, the, the qualifying, uh, sorry. The qualifying final was a complete mess for Hawthorne. That, uh, they had the Hodge thing hang over them. They played terribly. Clarko, is, actually, if, if I can recommend the three-peat book that's come out recently, if you haven't got it yet, there's th- this final series, they go into extraordinary detail about um, about this final series, but you had all sorts of things happening. So they lost the qualifying final, uh, win the the, set, the first semi against Adelaide um, comfortably. They go back to Perth uh, once again for the, the prelim final. A really important goal in this one was Matt Suckling before three-quarter time. You talk about Taylor Duray's best game, for Hawthorne being that prelim final, Daz, I think Matt Suckling's finest moment as a Hawk was the long goal he kicked on the side at three-quarter time, which turned out to be so crucial. Oh, I could just see that beautiful strike off the left foot, um, Matt Suckling. Just, that, that's a game that really sticks in my memory. And just Luke Bruce being absolutely berated over the fence by the crowd over there. They were absolutely feral on that day. Um, and wasn't it Pavlich's last game as well? No, they thought it'd be Pavlich's last game, but he ended up playing. Oh, he um, went on. He went on and played one more season. So then the last quarter is really tight. Cyril, uh, they, they, the kick across goal that uh, the Fremantle player, I can't remember who it was, fumbled. And of course, Cyril let Cyril in for the goal. Cyril gets another one. And then I think, um, there was, and then, and then uh, DeRay's brilliant goal. Brilliant goal from the pocket, and the Hawks were into another grand final. That was, uh, I do know some people who went to that game. They said it was one of the most incredible games of football to be at, you know, absolutely worth the price of flying across the country um, to, to be part of it. And people said, raved about it and just how joyous the Hawthorne supporters were. That game, Jack Gunson tells a story of that game. He was, um, he, he'd hurt his ankle in the, uh, or his uh, leg in the qualifying final and was no chance of playing in the semi-final. And he um, he couldn't run. He tried to run on the morning of the preliminary final and really couldn't get out of a shuffle and thought, I'm stuffed here. I don't think I'm going to play again. And then Hawthorne won the prelim final. So he thought, well, I better go out and see what I'm going to see. Went out the next morning for a run. And it was like a miracle. He felt almost, almost felt no pain. So the, the powers of the mind sometimes, Andrew Russell used to be really big on the power of the mind. He's talked about some of the, I spoke to him once about some of the the, the work, some of the way Hawthorne players overcame uh, injuries in his time. He's always put it down to the power of the mind. Gunston got up the morning after the pulling final and all the discomfort was gone. He trained brilliantly all week and was able to play in the grand final. So 
it's quite remarkable what that was. But uh, that was probably, given it was on TV as well, it's the reason why I hate watching uh, big big Hawthorne games on TV. That was probably two, two and a half of the most nerve-wracking hours I've ever spent in front of a TV. Anyone? No, I think we're all... Uh... We're done? Very happy. I, th- I think well, what you should do, Ash, is actually call your mate, Jack, and just... Uh, <laughs> find out what's going on. Just yeah. re- remind him of that <laughs> whole story and see if it sure. sparks a few, uh, you know, maybe he wants to yep. uh, be reminded of his love of the club. Correct. Uh, AFLW, Hawthorne, it was a funny old game on Sunday afternoon at Swinburne Centre. It was grey, it was overcast, it was chilly, a bit of rain. Um, Hawthorne... One three nine lost to Richmond seven two forty four. Not sure how many watched that game, but it was in general play. Hawthorne in the contest, and and Beck Goddard made the point afterwards in general play, and in, in the physicality, Hawthorne acquitted itself really well. But the problem they had was uh, they were just a bit like the men's team sometimes. They were a bit hopeless in front of goal. Yeah, and yeah. skill execution too. I thought Ash like um, the. The Hawks just sort of struggled to get the ball in any sort of quality way into through the middle and into the forward 50. When it was at a stoppage, they, they were good. And I think um, Tilly Lucas-Rod's a jet. She's she's phenomenal in the stoppages. And, and, and Gilroy, um, Aileen Gilroy's fantastic. And um, obviously Jazz Fleming and, and got girls like that are... Um, starting to really develop and develop well, so um, there's just a there's just a little bit of outside polish and decision making and skill execution which is letting the Hawks down. And I think yeah. Naomi touched on our inability to take contested marks um, in the in her first match report, and I think that was very much on display on the weekend as well. So just being outmarked and. Obviously, Monique Conti just being an absolute class above everyone on the ground. She was unbelievable. She played a super game. Um, yeah, I just thought uh, that the, the endeavour was there. They're absolutely playing for each other, playing for the coach. But yeah, they're just a work in progress. They don't really have anyone to kick to, and that's that's the and the ball's not coming to ground for the crumbs to do their work. So that'll come. Um, hopefully, there'll be a win or so, a win or two there. Before, I know they've got a game against West Coast later in the season in Melbourne that uh, they probably would like to think they win. Uh, another debut time this week. They play the Western Bulldogs Saturday afternoon, ten past three at uh, Boxall City Oval, the second home game for the year. Unfortunately, crashes for a lot of us. It crashes with the uh, Sydney Collingwood game, which will make it difficult to get to and have a look at even on the telly. Ayn McDonald will debut Hawthorne's second Irish player. If she's half as good as Gilroy, uh, Daz, she'll be a she'll be a very good player. Yeah, and I actually might head down because, honestly, um, I think the final series really crystallises how much um, I'm a Hawthorne fan first and a footy fan second. I just would rather prefer to watch uh, the women's team play live on Saturday than sit for a Collingwood game. Yeah, and it's the last home game at Box Hill City. Over the three remaining home games after that are, again, are at uh, Frankston. I do know the day before the grand final, I think they're playing Sydney at uh, Punt Road. So if you're around the AFL finals uh, footy festival uh, uh, activities on the Friday public holiday, then uh, worse things one could do than to uh, duck into Punt Road to watch the Hawks play the Swans. Um, Stork, you got a quick question first before we yeah, go? Yeah, really quick. Um, just on the, the women's footy, how great is it to have a women's side? Like, I've got young daughter and um, 
and to be able to kind of share football with her and have her kind of be able to aspire um, or at least identify with the players running around on the screen is just fantastic. Um, but the actual question was um, was about we talked a bit earlier about our ruck stocks. I kind of think that instead of going like for a forward ruck, as you guys are suggesting, I think we'll probably end up going, or well, we could end up going like a Darcy Cameron or a Jack Silvani type, like a really kind of mobile extra midfield type, like a, do you say, like a Connor Nash sort of type? Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, everything's up for discussion. Everything's up for grabs. I think it's not the, it's not the worst idea. Certainly, is that we don't what they don't want is another pure ruckman who can't do much else. They're going to need someone with a couple of strings to their bow. And maybe that's it. Maybe it's sort of that sort of more bullocking. It won't be Nash, but someone like that who go can add a pin to throw in as a second ruckman. It's worked for a few teams this year, so no reason why it can't work for Hawthorne. And and just on the ruck, I just what I don't want to see next year is Cosy playing any ruck minutes at all. I think it just needs to focus 100%. on being a forward, yeah. learning the forward craft. And if that means bringing in another pure ruckman, then so be it. But it's just hurting his development. And I think he was being asked to do a lot of things this year that it's his first year the as a um, second year as a forward. So he really needs to learn that craft. Yeah, that's yeah. spot on, Daz. I think it's actually more beneficial for Cozzy to play, you know, most of the season at Box Hill as a forward than it is for him to play at AFL level as a chop-out ruckman. Uh, just stuffed him around way too much. Thanks, that story. Patrick, good evening. I'm just wondering about the Dingley thing. Is the plan to move in for AFLW next season? Well, they'd like to, but it's moving at a snail's pace at the moment. But uh, they're going to need to move in. Yeah, the plan was to get the AFLW ready, get it match ready for next year. I think they'd really like to play home games there. The plan is they'll be able to play not just AFLW games, but even pre-season men's games there. It'll have capacity for I, people to watch games. But I, I can't imagine it'll be ready in 12 months' time, but then I'm not a builder. I assume they'll also play Box Hill games while Box Hill City Oval is being redeveloped. Is that a plan? Well, I'm not sure what Box Hill. But I mean, we we'll get Ed Sill back on the uh, pot, on the space at some stage. But yeah, I think Box Hill's being redeveloped. So I don't know where the Box Hill Hawks will play next year if uh, if they don't have a Box Hill available at home ground. But um, maybe the there'll be building works going on around the ground, and they can still use the still use the the ground to play it. But. Uh, we will endeavour to find out. Uh, we'll place a call into Ed and find out what's going on there and we'll report back to you next week. Daniel, hello. Evening, gents. How are we going? Very well. Look, I've just jumped in late. I'm in the car. I've just left awake. Um, I I'm sorry for your loss. I have to add on what you were talking about tonight, but the wake I was at was for uh, a gentleman, Gary Monopoly, who was a 55-year member of the Hawks. Uh, he ran the Little League for well over 20 years and the club if anyone's listening from the club they sent a letter to the funeral today it was awesome Um, obviously a sad day but a brilliant day he coached coached me way back in 1994 in the under 14s and coached at my local club all the way through to 2016 and he's just a pillar of society Um, so I just wanted to put it out there that we've lost a 55 year member um, a great man, a great Hawthorne man, and yeah, my condolences to his family, and also to to the broader Hawthorne community. He was he was great for the club. Daniel, thank you. That's wonderful to thank you for letting us know. Um, wonderful to hear from you. So uh, 
Yes, I hope Luke Graham, great that the club acknowledged someone who clearly put a lot in over the over the journey. Great to see that the footy club acknowledged him. So thank you for letting us know. Thank you to everybody for joining us on the spaces tonight. Our plan of attack is for the next little while is we will do the next two Thursdays. Then we are going to do this nightly during the trade period. Um, we, as we did last year, we was huge success. Even Hawthorne's not doing trades. There's so much to talk about, and we can make pretend trades and impose Hawthorne into into speculation. We can uh, hypothesise as what Hawthorne could do with different players who are out there. Um, clearly, there's a demand for lots of trade talk, and we're going to be part of it. So there will be nightly spaces. Of course, if, it, if something big happens the next little while, before Thursday, we'll do an emergency space like we did with Tom Mitchell a couple of weeks ago. Otherwise, we look forward to joining you for our uh, day of mourning slash grand final preview spaces next Thursday. Nothing else, we've got lots of premierships, grand finals we can reminisce about. So no shortage of those to talk about over the next little while. So thank you, Brad. Thank you, Daddy. Darren, thank you. Andrew, any housekeeping before we go? No housekeeping, but I will be at Box Hill on Saturday. So if any of you are down there, uh, flick me a flick me a message. It'd be good to meet up. It, we make yourself known to any of the Hawks Insiders that you might see there. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks always for your support of Hawks Insiders. It is much appreciated, and we will talk to you again on the spaces this time next week. Have a good preliminary final weekend, everybody. Uh, if you're into the rugby, it's getting very close again. Four points, the difference with 12 minutes to go. Let's go, Wallabies. Talk to you next week on The Spaces. Thanks and good night.